This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And Mike Fires has thrown his second no-hitter. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back! Goal for Yelich! Tony Bellinger hits one out. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From the opener to launch angles to clutch moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. All right, there we go. You know I love doing this show, but nothing is better than doing the show from the field here on A's Cast Live. It is actually one of the coolest things, if not the coolest thing, I've ever done in my career. To be able to sit here on a big league field and to watch everything that is going on and to give you an idea of what's happening is absolutely amazing. And once again, Commander Cody knocked it out of the ballpark as we have an unbelievable show for you today. First off, our man Coco. Coco Chris is sitting here with me for the first half hour of the show. Going to get Coco warmed up as he'll be calling the game tonight with Ken and Vince. What's shaking, Coco? Uh, Nothing, just uh, going through some bios on my phone of some of the players, waiting for you to say hi to me. Life good? Yeah, life's great. Had a little fun at Top Golf the other day, yesterday. Yeah, but Zach, uh, how was that? Yeah, it was nice. It was a nice little drive out there. But other than that, you know, seeing the fans out there, they're showing me love, uh, talking with all the uh, the radio stations, and just showing that that town, Sacramento, a little bit of love out there. You know, when I I went to Top Golf in Kansas City when I was with the Raiders, and I went, this place is brilliant. It's essentially a driving range where they have holes that if you hit these holes, you get points. Full menu, full bar. I'm like, I want to invest in that. <laughs> it's packed, right? It was. I'm sure it was absolutely packed. Right. They had a lot of people there, a lot of uh, people that didn't know we were there there, and yeah. uh, a lot of uh, fans, and actually had an uh, 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 upcoming uh, radio personalities, these twins that were there that kind of ambushed the scene with their dad and, and gave some interviews. They were really cute, and they had that little twin <laughs> dynamic going. But it was, yeah, it was packed. It was nice. Love Top Golf. And a former teammate of yours, Tommy Malone, is going to join us coming up here in a little bit. Is You know, that's one of the cool things is all the teams understand what we're doing here is something very unique, and it's something they're going to do at some point. But we're the only team in Major League Baseball. I know they don't like me saying that all the time, but we're the only team in Major League Baseball that has what is called A's Cast and has this show, A's Cast Live. So it's been great that the other teams will bring players down. Of course, you played with Tommy, the left-hander who – 
I believe he's going to be going after the opener tomorrow against the Athletics, so we'll check in with the left-hander. The Bob Melvin Show will be here today. That will be at 4.30. We're going to have Aaron Goldsmith, who does television for the Mariners, at 5.30. And then John Spencer will be here at 5.40. He is the fan who got beer poured all over him at Yankee Stadium during the wild, wild card game. How he handled that, you know, usually that happens, you start throwing hands, right? <laughs> uh, he handled that very well. But what that, and, and a lot of people reached out to him and give him love after that. So we'll get his story coming up here at 540. But where the A's are right now, and I've been saying this, Coco, people love to say, oh, it's a marathon. Well, now it's not a marathon. Now we're you're in July. The trading deadline's coming up here on the 31st. It's a hard deadline. No waiver wire process after. If you want to improve your ball club, you got to improve your ball club. You got to do it before the 31st. So for me right now, and you can take us through it as a player. This is a sprint to the finish line now. It is. I know inside the clubhouse, they talk about the whole mentality of marathon versus in the now and. Um, you have to really stay in that in that kind of cliche as a ball club. I know the uh, with 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 saying, okay, let's focus on the game today. Whatever happens with the other teams, like talking about Houston or Texas or any other other teams, can't really worry about what they're doing as far as the wild card race. You got to take care of business of what you got to do on the field at your particular day in that game. But making moves, making trades, now it comes onto the front office to uh, to make those those moves to improve the team for that final push. And Homer Bailey, and you're going to hear from him, the right-hander that comes over from Kansas City, what does that mean inside the clubhouse? You know, you're 12 games over 500. You're, you're right in the wild-card hunt. If it ended today, you'd be in the playoffs. You're starting to see Houston leak oil. They're starting to look vulnerable. You know, this vaunted pitching staff, they used the opener yesterday for the first time. I mean, the division is still in sight, and we'll talk to Bob Melvin about that on the Bob Melvin Show, but what does that mean as a player when all of a sudden they're adding to the ball club? I think one of the good things about uh, getting Homer over here is the A's didn't really have to give up much. You know, gave up uh, a supplemental pick prospect, and they didn't have to pull from the big league club like they did back in 2013 or 14 when they traded Cespedes uh, for, for Lester. But I think those type of moves where you're able to add to the ball club and not take anything away from the big league club, it's, it's huge. And we'll see what develops uh, as we move forward. Yeah, that's, you know, at, at this time of the year, you know, you're either going to be a buyer or you're going to be a seller. And it feels a heck of a lot better when you're a buyer because when you're in sell mode, I've noticed through the years just the way the clubhouse gets kind of weird because there's rumors <laughs> out there, and now everybody has cell phones. Everybody's got these apps that are sending you these rumors and everything, and you don't know if you're coming or you're going. But when you're on a ball club like this, you know that you're not going out. They're going to bring somebody in. Right. I think one of the main things is is, is mama, you, you know, your yeah. wife. You know, she's asking you, hey, what they're telling you, what they're telling you. So you kind of, you're getting that at home as well because they want to know what's the next move for the family. And, you know, it becomes stressful. So that's when you get those kind of dull faces in a clubhouse and the chemistry starts to tear a little bit. But when I mean, that's the bad that's the bad side of it. But on the good side, when you are a contending team and you don't have to worry about those things. You don't have to worry about the team chemistry uh, falling apart. I know one of the, the, the things about getting new players in are how they're going to buy into the system. And when you have a, a good manager, and I talk about the, the managers that I play for that 
I have a lot of respect for, and that's pretty much all of them. But at the same time, uh, Bo Mel and, and Terry Francona do a good job being a player manager, being open and honest with the, with the players. So when you come into a new clubhouse with a manager like that, it makes it easy to fit in. That team chemistry is still there, and you, you just keep keep building. You know, it, it, and for everybody out there listening right now, and you can hit us up on Twitter, I mean, uh, on text at 510-897-1322. That's 510-897-1322. And if you have questions for Coco, we can ask them because uh, we don't take phone calls on this show. But we'll, we will take text and uh, 510-897-1322. You know, that thing about essentially a manager is really no different from any of you out there listening your boss. You've got good bosses. You got bad bosses. You got good bosses. There are guys that communicate, and, the, and 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 your business is productive because of this boss. And then you got guys that I've worked for who are just absolute bozos. And <laughs> and it's like you're like, how this guy get this job? And obviously the business doesn't run correctly. So you know that's one thing you know knowing about Bob. Uh, and I've only and Tito Francona. I've only interviewed him before. But that's the thing that I've noticed about. Bob Melvin, and really all the good managers is whether it's good news or whether it's bad news, very honest, and you know where you stand. Yeah, 100%. I think one of the key things is, is, is for a ball player to understand where they're at in their career and what the organization thinks of them, where they might be moving if the trade stuff starts appearing for them. And if you're able to go into an open door with a manager and, he get, and he's able to talk to you about that situation and make you feel more comfortable that puts you at ease you're able to go out there and continue to play your game without having to think about these extra things now I know there are some times and all ball players know where the front office and there are some things that can't be said and when you're able to communicate that part of it as well saying hey this this part of it I can't touch you understand that instead of kind of getting uncomfortable and beating around the bush a little bit just straightforward be open and honest everything runs way smoother yeah, Billy Bean used to, used to. I think, I don't think this happens anymore, but uh, used to tell his wife, "Don't become friends with the players' wives. <laughs> <laughs> don't become friends because you never know when you're going to trade one of them." You know, how much in your career did you have like a, a relationship with front office people? Uh, throughout my career, uh, for the most part, I think uh, I was very fortunate. Uh, being in the RBI program and, and, and coming up through different organizations that I came up with, a lot of those guys had relationship with front office guys, uh, a lot of the scouts and, and stuff like that I kept my relationships with. And, uh, you know, it wasn't that Billy O while I was playing. And, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal for me. I knew the boundaries of front office player, manager, and I respected each level of authority. And I – you know, I didn't want to cross those lines. The only time where I had questions if it's something that really pertained to my career. Yeah, well, that's always a lot has to do with that contract. <laughs> <laughs> For all of us, right? Yeah. When it comes down to we'll what am I money. getting paid? How are you? How am I getting paid and how long am I going to get paid for? It's A's cast live from the field here as we're getting you ready for the A's and the Mariners. And uh, the names are, are, are flying around. Yeah. The one thing when I, you're hearing all about starting pitching is, like, it's great to pick up starting pitching, but the way starting pitching has changed in the postseason, guys don't, for the most part, guys aren't going deep. And the high leverage situations are really going to be taken up 
by relievers. So as much as they throw names out there, it's like, oh, Stroman's out there, Madison Bumgarner, you know, Robbie Ray. They're throwing all these names out there. And it's great to get a guy like Homer Bailey because Homer right now is throwing the ball well. He's going to give you some innings. But if you really want to contend, I'm thinking to myself, I don't know what you think. I mean, I'm looking get bring me a reliever or two because that guy's probably going to be more productive for me in the postseason than a starter. Yeah, I mean, it, they're just as important as a, as a guy that goes out there with experience in the postseason, uh, a starter that goes out there. You get a guy that a shutdown guy at the back end of the bullpen, seven, eight, nine. When that game's on the line, you need those guys with experience back there, or guys that have that bulldog mentality and that have been successful throughout the season. But yeah, I mean, pitching is <laughs> is the key to success. Uh, you know, whether whatever level that you're at, you coaching at nine, you you coaching in the big league level, you need pitching to be successful and win. And when you have guys that you can count on that seven, eight, nine innings at the back end of the bullpen, hey, it's uh. It's, it's going to be a nice road throughout that playoff. Did you have pitching with your high school team? Did you have enough? We had we had pitching with the high school. You know, it was just we were youthful. You know, <laughs> we're we're a young high school team. You know, and as those kids develop, you know, I'm not coaching there anymore. But as they develop, those young kids, they're going to be something to deal with in that in that uh, in that area out there. Was that was that a trip to like you know you go from big league baseball to now dealing with high school kids, mm. and high school kids obviously are quite different from when you went to high school. What, what was that like? I, well, I had fun. I, I loved it. I mean, a hands-on, I, I learned in every aspect of the game. But, you know, there are times where, you know, I'll go run over to third base to, you know, to coach third base, and I'll run by the pitcher that's throwing. I'm just thinking, oh, baby, he's throwing slow. We're going to tattoo him today, and we end up with one run. I'm just like, what in the world's going on? You know, you throwing 75 miles per hour. That's like a slow changeup. But at the high school level, you know, you got to understand that they're still growing. Like I said, I had a young team. So there's a lot of guys first time on varsity, and you just have to be really patient with them. I have a theory that I want to throw to you next, and it's about Liam Hendricks okay. and what I've been seeing and what you've been seeing, and then we're going to take you back as a hitter what you would have done against this. We'll talk about it right here. It's A's Cast Live. Chris Townsend hanging out with Coco Chris live from the field. Now back to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. And we got Coco hanging out with us today as we're getting you ready for the Mariners and the Athletics. Tommy Malone will be here in moments. Tommy Malone pitched some big games for the Athletics. He was a he was a he was a he was a good left-hander for the athlete for the A's. Yeah, he did well. I, you know, it was tough to see him leave. He was one of those guys that you can count on. He's not an overpowering guy, but he's the guy that has good control, command of his pitches, and he really knows how to pitch. And you know, the one thing that I always liked about him too, and wanted to see him in the National League, is the fact that. Tommy Malone can swing it, right? <laughs> like back in the day at USC, I mean, he, he can swing it. And that is such a huge thing for a pitcher. When you have the ability in the National League, I can, you know, we've seen it with Madison Bumgarner before. We mm -hmm. have the ability to hit a little bit to help yourself, which soon that's all going away is everybody will have the DH. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, it is nice, though, when you have that ability to go in there and you got a runner on, you have confidence in yourself to go ahead and get that RBI in there to help yourself out. You know, one of the things that's been great about this show is bringing in some of our old friends, 
You know, we had Josh Reddick when the Astros were in town. Tommy Malone joins us. It's always great to have you back. Once proud Oakland Athletic, how you been? Doing well. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, we talked to you in Japan, and it's good to see you up with the big club. Yeah, for sure. Obviously, always always nice to be up here and uh, come back to Oakland, the old stomping ground. So, you know, it's been, it's been good. And then, of course, you guys shared some good times. You know, that was, that was the thing about it, you know. This this era of A's baseball that you guys were a part of, I mean that was a that was wild at times the kind of success that you guys had when people didn't think you were going to have success. Yeah, for sure. You know, I I would say probably some of the my best memories were, you know, the time that I was here with the A's and obviously Coco here and probably robbing some home runs that I'd, that I'd given up. <laughs> but um, you know, it was uh, definitely a good time and and times that I reminisce often. Yeah, I mean, we are here, what, uh, was it 12, 13, and 14 yep. together? Yep. And those were the times that I talk about where it wasn't just us on the field playing the game. We actually didn't have any lines. It was it was the front office, the fans. It was like we're a huge family, and he was a huge part of our success, Tommy was. I want to talk about one thing real quick. Okay. Yeah, we haven't seen each other in, in a little while, and you got all these tats now. Yeah, yep. you yeah, tell yeah, me about yeah. that. You are tatted up, man. I, I like it. Just one arm, just one arm. It's a, it's a whole family theme. Okay. So I, I kept it to, uh, not just random things, you know, just throwing out there. So, um, but it was something that I had been wanting to do for a while. I just never really knew what I wanted. So once I figured it out, then it just kind of all came together. All right. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Not the non-throwing arm. Yep. yep. <laughs> I think when, when I'm done, I think I'll get the other side done. Okay. Was there anything like I don't want to mess with the arm? Yeah, that's basically what it is. Not that really that's really going to do anything because obviously guys have their throwing arms tatted as well, but it's just probably it's all mental, you know. So are you are you following the opener tomorrow? I don't know, to be honest. They don't really tell me until after their, the game before. Really? I think it depends on, you know, who's who gets used in the bullpen and stuff like that. So if everyone gets used, then most likely I would, I would start the game. But so that I don't know. That's something that uh, that's upstairs. I don't worry about that. We haven't really figured out the name for that. You know, we have the name for the opener. Mm-hmm. We haven't. Is it the follower or what? What do you think about that role? The role or the name? The role. The, uh, I don't know. I kind of go back and forth. Um, I still. It's very similar to starting. Obviously, I'm not starting the game, but I still know when I'm pitching. I can prepare for it. I still know I'm going to go. You know, X amount of innings or pitches or whatever like that. So. Um, it's just a little bit different warming up. You know, I, I throw kind of right before the game starts so I can get some distance and then uh, kind of see how the game's going. On the road, I have to wait a little bit more, obviously, because we're not starting um, the first inning. So it's just it was a little bit of tinkering around with the, the warming up and stuff. But, you know, it's it's been fine. So the one thing with that, with the with the, the opener, when you go in, you come in second, and the guy just finished a good inning or he finished a bad inning, which, how, do you, how do you prepare for that mentally and knowing how to approach it after the inning, whatever the score may be, whether it's mm-hmm. good, one, one instance where it is good, and the other one where it, it didn't really go his way? Honestly, I've kind of treated it as I just go out there and pitch my game regardless of what happened, whether the score is 5 nothing or 10 nothing, You know, I still got to go out there and I got to do my job and get outs. So... Um, you know, obviously it's nice to go out there if, you know, if we have a lead or if we're, you know, we hadn't given up any runs. But, um, you know, either way I have to go out there and do a job, and that's to get people out. So I try to, tr- I try to treat it the same. Okay. You know, the thing for me is, you know, starting pitchers, you have, you, you have a way you get ready for the game. 
Some guys want to run poles. Some guys are going to do long toss. You're going to have, and, you, and, and you're creatures of habit, so you do it every single, before every every five days for the game. Yeah. Well, now you can't be running poles during the game. This isn't spring training. You can't be doing long toss. That has to be a dramatic change for a starting pitcher. Well, that's what I was saying is right before the game starts, I'll be out there and I'll throw my however long I want to throw. And then up to right when the game starts, then I'll go in the bullpen. And if I'm warming up right away, I'll do my normal stuff. Obviously, it's it, you know, it can vary the timing because obviously innings get quick or they're long. You know, so that's the kind of uh, transition that I needed to to kind of either wait or speed up a little bit. But um, and obviously that's all in game in game stuff. You never know what's going to happen. So, um, but overall, it's it's been fine. I've been able to adapt pretty well and. Um, you know anything that I've needed to do, I've been I've been fine with doing it. How odd was it to watch this team start out thirteen and two? I mean, you guys got out of the gate; it was like unbelievable. Still hitting a bunch of home runs, and then it's just it's gone a whole different way. How's it been in the clubhouse for the Mariners? It's been great. You know, good group of guys. Um, honestly, I I can't say enough about the guys that are that are on the team. You know, with how we've been playing, you know, obviously ups and downs. Um, but, you know, you wouldn't know it in the clubhouse, basically. So uh, that's always a good sign. No, that's good. Well, I know we talked about, uh, well, just going on that. I mean, it's, it's great to have that good team chemistry. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a young group of guys over there. I know you're bringing your veteran presence over there. Um, but we talked about hitting, hitting and how, you know, you can swing it a little bit. And you I've got a chance to, to dabble to, a little. Yeah, dabble? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how do, you, how do you, I mean, in the American League and National League, what do you what do you like better, being in the National League where you could swing it, or over oh, just talking about the or being over here where you can just focus on pitching in the American League? Uh, it's tough. I think once you know in the National League, once I kind of get going with with hitting, the first couple times you know it's kind of like I'm not like nervous, but you know like I'm not used to going out there pitching and then having to worry about swinging a bat. So once that kind of gets rolling, then I would say I, I definitely enjoy the hitting part of it. Um, but, you know, it's always nice to not have to worry about it and go out there and pitch and, you know, I'd just do my thing in between innings if it's just sitting there and not focusing on anything or, or um, you know, moving around, whatever I need to do. I don't have to worry about grabbing a bat and going up and, and doing something else. So uh, it goes both ways, but I think the edge is probably to, to hit in because I do yeah. enjoy that. <laughs> this thing right here in my hand, the baseball, Yeah. we've been dealing with a lot of different people, and Dr. Meredith Wills has been on our program, an astrophysicist a couple times the ball's different yeah. science scientists have proven that the ball is different there's less drag the seams are smaller the leather is, is smoother have you seen as a pitcher a dramatic change in the ball the feeling of it not as much um i can't say i not that like i don't know if it's smoother i i can't remember from before but the flight for sure like especially balls like I've come back a couple times this year and, and seen balls that are hit out of here is ridiculous. Mm. So um, that's that's the difference I see is the balls are flying a lot farther. And the same thing up I want to call it I want to call it Safeco. What's the name of it now in Seattle? Uh, T-Mobile. T-Mobile. We were up there and I'm like, balls that were being hit. You're like, those were outs. Yeah. And the ball just keeps going and going and going, and that's the thing that and I wonder for you know for some pitchers. You know, how does it affect certain things like a slider? How does it affect a curveball, the spin of the ball? So you haven't seen a difference in the ball for you. The feeling of it, I've seen based on what I see out there after the ball gets hit, 
I've seen that for sure. I've seen a difference in that aspect. But like the feeling of it, I've I felt like it's it's been fine. It's some I mean sometimes they don't feel like they're rubbed up enough, but other than that, like yeah, I I, I don't really see much of a difference that way. Some guy said it's like throwing an ice cube. It's so slick. Right? Yeah, that's what some of the guys are saying. Hey Tommy, thank you for coming out. This is. It's not a bad little set for us here, no, is it? No, it's awesome. Right here on the field, it's great. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have this back in the day, and this is something that we started this year. We say it's uh, the best office office in baseball. And for you to come down from the visiting clubhouse, we truly appreciate it. And Absolutely. Great for you guys to connect once yeah, again. Yeah, for sure. My man. Hey, good to see you, bro. Good luck, man. Go appreciate get him. It. Keep pitching well. Thank you. Tommy, we'll good do. to see you, buddy. You too. Take care. Take Tommy Malone, the left-hander for the Seattle Mariners. Coming up, you got to stay for one more segment because i got to ask you the question about Leon Hendricks. We'll get into that next right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Broadcasting from the town, here's Chris Townsend. And we got Coco sitting in with us. One more segment, and then we'll get to the Bob Melvin show. So the thing that I've been seeing with Liam is Liam is getting up there, and it's no joke, all right? He has thrown 18 consecutive scoreless innings. So the bottom line is Liam's coming in. He's saying, I am coming after you, 97, strike one, here it is. And the other night I'm watching that five-hour-plus marathon on Sunday Night Baseball, which was a joke. And I'm watching everybody's nibbling. Everybody's just a little outside or a little down. Next thing you know, it's 2-0, and now these guys with this baseball are just taking hellacious hacks mm-hmm. and hit the ball to the ballpark. Liam's coming in, and he's challenging you right out of the gate. Strike one, strike two, slider, you're gone. What is it about a guy like that that we need to see more guys throwing with that kind of conviction? Yes, yeah, just the confidence that you have in your abilities, in, in yourself, and, and going up there with the mindset that, hey, you know, nobody can hit me. Whether it's true or not, that's still the mentality that you have to go up there with. Um, I know if I was hitting against them, I'm on the on-deck circle preparing mentally. I do the little cross, you know, little cross thing because this guy, he is on fire right now, and he has that confidence. And I think the main thing to do on a hitter against him is you really got to stay within yourself. If you come out of yourself, if you're an inside guy, you got to stay in there and then just hope that he misses in there because right now he's not only throwing 98 miles per hour, close to 100, but he's actually got command of that too, which makes it tough for any hitter, no matter who you are, to be successful with. Because that's the thing with trying an Intervino is they're coming in and it's ball one, might be strike one, then it's 2-1, then it's 3. They're always getting into hitters' counts. They didn't do that last year. That's I really think, is the big problem for them this year. And I know that's pretty simplistic, but it's a lot harder to hit 1-2 than it is 2-1. Oh, for sure. I mean, the, the, your stats go down when you got two strikes on you as a hitter. Your batting average numbers are way down. I think one of the most important things for a pitcher is getting that strike one. You know, and and there's not a lot of guys that just come out and ambush. You know the teams that do. They're usually the younger teams, the veteran teams, the older guys usually have a plan. Then you have your guys in there that might actually ambush, you know, 30, 60 percent of the time, and you just kind of play the odds on that. But the most important thing, and like you said, it is easier 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 said than done. But come in, get that first strike, and then work off of that and play around a little bit once you get ahead. Now, you've gotten to know me a little bit. I am kind of radical, I, and I'm not afraid of change. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to throw this one at you because I kind of, at first I hated it. The more I think about it, I love it. So in the Atlantic League, anytime there is a pass ball or wild pitch, you could just take off. Right. See, okay. 
for me, I have to know, is that an at-bat? If I take off, does that count? What does that count I as? I just and thank you. And once I know that, then I'll see if I'm ready. I'm going to utilize it or not. If it doesn't count as a bat and it's a plate appearance or on-base percentage and that stuff goes up, if it gets by, I'm gone because then I'm still in two bases. You know, but if it counts as a, a, a bat or something like that or a strikeout or something negative, I'm staying in and taking my chances swinging that thing. I said that exactly yesterday. I love how you just put it. I said, listen. I got to incentivize you to do it. So here's the deal. All right, I'm commissioner. All right, Coco, you go up to the plate, and at any time, because normally you only do it if you strike out, and it's still counted as a strikeout. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. I'm going to count it as a base hit. Oh, baby. So now it's a base hit. So now am I helping your, I'm helping your batting average. I'm helping your on-base percentage. And, and, you know, our problem in baseball now is less action going on other than home runs. I don't buy what people are saying. Anytime you hit a home run, everybody goes nuts. and No one's ever going to say, I'm tired of the home run. Right. Home runs are all – these old dinosaurs just don't get it. <laughs> home runs are always going to be good. But now that puts into play so many different things. And I'm thinking about a guy like you, especially hitting from the left-hand side. Guy throws a split finger, gets away from the catcher. You're gone. Right. Now you got to take in consideration, too, the ball kicks off just a little bit and you make the move to first base, does that count? Yes. You know, that counts as a if go? You, if you go out of the box, you got to go. Oh, I'll be tiptoeing trying to stay <laughs> in. I'm like, oh, they kicked far enough. And, oh, man, it, it's so many different things that are involved in that. Just, you really have to narrow down. And now the situation comes where it doesn't become personal, it becomes more of a team thing where if it wasn't incentive-based and it did count as an out, do you take that for the team and run down there and get on base and your base percentage or, 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 or batting average lowers, but now you're on base in a key situation in the bottom of the ninth? You know, so there's different things involved in this. And the one thing that I dislike, even though I'm a hitter and it's all in my favor, there's a lot of things right now that are being put into the Atlantic League that are, are, are offensive base. I mean, there's – not much incentive for those for those pitchers on these, and it's just going to make it a lot tougher. I know it's already tough enough to hit, but still, it's a little lopsided right now. Well, the thing about the robo-ump, and maybe I'll get into that a little bit later, in the Atlantic League, using the robo-ump is what we're finding is the high strike is being called because Major League humans, Major League Baseball umpire human beings do not call the high strike for the most part. Mm-hmm. That's been out of the game for years. The robo-ump doesn't care. The robo-ump sets a strike zone. If the ball goes through that strike zone, it's a strike. That could change a lot in big league baseball right now. If you started really – when you talk about putting balls back into play, if you started calling strikes – as we knew back in the day, letters to the knees, mm-hmm. boy, that would change things. Yeah, that would. I mean, they give a pitcher a lot more opportunity, like we talked about, to get ahead of hitters. Um, but at the same time, it's also taken away that that outside black that's really not there. That's underneath the dirt. They say, oh, that was on the black. I'm like, man, you can't even see the black. It's underneath the dirt. But, you know, then you start narrowing the strike zone and raising it up and down a little bit and changes the dynamic of the game. And, you know, I like that human element behind the plate. I hate the human element <laughs> behind the plate. Can you imagine how different like a guy like Tom Glad? Do you face Tom Glavin? No, not to my recollection. No, no. His career would be dramatically different. He yeah. used to get. I mean, his strikes were way off the plate. Like you would never get those. You know, is 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 building that 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 stout that 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 aura about you throughout your career. Right? You start off as a rookie, yeah, you ain't gonna get all that. You know, you might as a hitter as well. But now you start becoming this Miguel Cabrera, Mike Trout, 
and you got a rookie pitcher up there, and he might hit that black, and he, he doesn't get it. Now you got Pedro Martinez up there against rookie me, and he's going to get that black maybe another inch off the plate, and that's where that human element comes in and the respect from the umpires and, and all this unspoken stuff in baseball comes into play, and you kind of just – when you're in the dugout, the, the rookie comes back. You're like, "Hey, man, you got, that's Pedro on the mound. You got you got to swing at that." Or, or you know, anybody with that 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 build up that cloud over those years, they get that little bit, and that's that's what I like about that human element. You know, I I, I think about that stolen base thing, and I want to call it a hit. Can you imagine how different that would be for catchers? And that's something I want to talk to Ray Fossey about because I think I can talk Fossey into this. Now blocking baseballs would be at such a premium front offices because we see so many lazy catchers. Mm-hmm. I mean, the art of blocking the ball. Some guys, you know, they're always backhanding it. Having to actually block the baseball now would be so more important for a catcher, and that could really be something you could get paid on because that's the thing. If I'm, a, if I'm throwing if – I'm, if I'm a pitcher, I got to trust. If I'm going to try and really have that tight slider or if I'm going to throw that split – and I know it could be going down into the dirt. I gotta trust that catcher, or that's gonna be an easy that's gonna be an easy hit for Coco. Yeah, yeah, that that is. <laughs> I mean, all the dynamics with this. Uh, yeah, I mean, it elevates blocking the ball to a whole nother level in in, in the sights of the front office. And you know, you definitely need a receiver back there that again you strikes. But at the same time, now you're gonna have to have a guy that knows how to maneuver his body. And in the thought process from a catcher is going to have to be, especially with a split finger, curveballs, and you're supposed to have this mentality anyway where you're in the mindset of blocking, but you really have to bear down if that was to come to fruition. Where that end up really happening uh, at this level, uh, yeah, I mean, you're definitely going to have a guy that's agile back there. You can't have somebody that's slow. You're going to have to have some, some athletic catchers behind the plate. Cody, I think we convinced him. I think Coco's in. Oh, I, I, I believe it. But I like Coco, <laughs> you mentioned about Tom Glavin. I went back and looked. I hate to bring it up. You went I did. Over, over two in your career versus Tom Glavin. That's why I forgot it. <laughs> I don't remember it, huh? See, see, <laughs> like, you did have a nice career against uh, Mike Messina and Roy Halladay, though, both Hall of Famers. So. There we go. I'll take it. That's the thing about baseball reference two for, for, a ba- for a ball player. It's either going to be good or bad. <laughs> Looking into your past. It's right? either going to, you know, and they do it to you all the time. Well, you know, back in this year, you actually did this. You're like, oh, yeah, really. <laughs> two, two out of three Hall of Famers. Yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that. Now, you faced a lot of Hall of Famers. No, in this, in this yeah. instance actually, right here. Actually, his, his highest batting average against any uh, Hall of Fame pitcher, if you take out Greg Maddox where he went two for three, he had a 385 batting average against Randy Johnson. Is what? that right? I remember hitting a double off the wall in Yankee Stadium, but I also remember striking out against him, too. Yeah, the only uh, guys you were ever hitless against were Tom Glavin and Trevor Hoffman. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hoffman, oh. that changeup. Yeah, yeah, he dominates. How about Maddox? You got Maddox. Did I? That's, that's what it says. Two, two for three. I mean, you're better, three? Than, you're better than Tony Gwynn to get some, apparently. <laughs> that's called ownage right there, Coco. <laughs> oh, man. I put that stat on the wall. Better than Tony <laughs> Gwynn at something. <laughs> hey, have a good call today. This just warms. This is like BP for you. Right. This just warms you up. Yeah, this is fun. I, I love coming down here. This is a lot of fun seeing my old teammates being able to talk about, you know, fun and exciting possibilities within baseball. Yeah, this is good times. By the way, when we had Josh Reddick on, that got a big response. Yeah, Red Dog. He's a man. Yeah, that was that was really cool. I mean, that was one of those that was one of those deals where I just kind of backed up and said, boys, just just talk. 
Yeah, you know, he's a character. Tommy, yeah. Tommy's chill, you know. Yeah. Tommy's chill. He's a smooth cat. You know, Red has a lot of personality, so there's going to be a lot of conversation involved with that one. Yeah, I, I hate the Astros, but it's tough to root against him. He's, he's such a, a good guy. dude. Yeah. All right, have a good broadcast. Coming up next, we got the Bob Melvin Show, the only place you can hear the Bob Melvin Show, A's Cast and A's Cast Live, right here on A's Cast, powered by TuneIn. <laughs> A's Cast Live continues from Ricky Henderson Field. Here's Chris Townsend. It's now time for the Bob Melvin Show here on A's Cast, presented by NestBetting.com. Love where you sleep. And, Bob, you got to sleep on your Nest Betting bed down in Arizona during the All-Star break. How was it? I did and didn't want to come home, so... You know, there are beds that you have on the road and beds and so forth uh, during the course of the season, and then there's a bed like that, so it was nice. It's always good to be home. How was the All-Star break? It was good. It goes quick. If you ever want four days to go quick, uh, pretend it's the All-Star break because it seems like it flies by pretty quickly and uh, don't get much done, but if you like to just enjoy yourself and, and you know catch up on some rest, it's a good time. What is it about this team and this franchise that gets out to slow starts and then all of a sudden it starts happening sometime around June, and then you take it in July and you get hot and you're now 12 games over 500. What is it about this clubhouse, this, these players, this organization? Because a lot of things change, but that seems to stay the same. Well, I think there's, there's some turnover from year to year here. So it takes a while for the players to kind of learn each other and, you know, get your bullpen settled, get your lineup settled, understand who's going to hit for who and, uh, what the protocol is going to be, and then when everybody kind of settles in, um, you know, we start to play a little bit better, and then we make some adjustments in the second half and bring some new guys in. That's usually when we play our best baseball. We talked to you last time about Matt Chapman being an all-star and how happy you were for him and to make that announcement in front of the club. But then Liam Hendricks. I mean, you think about this story. June 25th last year, he's getting DFA'd. And since then, he started a playoff game, and he's now an all-star. What kind of story is this like for you as a manager? And have you really seen something like this before? Not Maybe not that quickly. Uh, you know, w when you're part of it every day and you're, you're just part of the process and incrementally getting better and into a new role, you feel it. But I think when you're away from it or you don't see it on a day-to-day -day basis, it's pretty dramatic to know that, you know, guys was, was DFA'd. Next thing you know, like you said, he's starting a, a playoff game and he's an all-star. So it was a quick ascend. The thing about it is he's got good stuff. He's throwing 98 miles an hour. He's really confident in what he's doing. And his breaking ball is that much better. So, you know, as a reliever, uh, you really don't have to time to establish too many pitches out there. But now that he's throwing his breaking ball and throwing it effectively, it's made him a different guy. Yeah, you know, guys are either going out there to survive or they're going out to win. And right now he's pitching with such conviction. And the way he gets out there, and it's like, here's 97, 98, and he's getting strike one. He's getting strike two. You know, so many guys in the game now nibble. He doesn't nibble. He just comes out and challenges every single guy. And as you said, makes his breaking ball better. But how nice is that for you, no? And he's going to come in, and he's going to throw strikes, and he's going right after guys. Right, and that's key. To get ahead is key, especially when you do have a breaking ball that the hitter has to think about. So, you know, he's not afraid to pitch inside, too. I mean, when you're throwing 98 miles an hour and you're throwing it on the inside corner, uh, you better figure out a way to get to that. So 
Um, it's using both sides of the plate. You know, his rhythm's better, his timing's better as far as, you know, with runners on base. And it's just a completely different guy and definitely was deserved to be an all-star. And this game is just crazy. Year to year, you never know. Everybody likes to use that horrible expression. I hate it. Look at the back of the baseball card because things change. And for Blake Trine, and last year he was an all-star for your club. And this year he's really struggled. Why do you think he has struggled? Well, I think it's a combination of things. One, he didn't get off to a great start. Two, um, you know, it's it just a little bit different in how he was doing things. And then he had the injury that he really didn't say a whole lot about. It was bothering him some. You know, then he goes on the DL and he comes back and maybe not his rhythm and his command's not there. I, I still really think he's going to get there at some point. It weighs on you a little bit, uh, you know, mentally when you're not when you had a year like you did last year and you're not you're not doing that again this year one of the hardest things to do is kind of forecast what the bullpen's going to look like it changes pretty quickly but the stuff's still there we just need to get him right my guess is once he has a couple good outings he'll be right back into a, a prominent role you know at this time of the year and we'll talk about homer bailey but everybody talks about starting pitching but what we've seen the last couple of years is starters do not go deep in the playoffs and the guys who are really going to get the high leverage situations are going to be the relievers if you can keep liam going like this get Trinan going again, get Trevino. What kind of weapon will that be having three guys coming out of your bullpen all throwing 97-plus? Right, and then you look at how effectively that Soria's pitching right now. Yusmero Petit's been a godsend for us in the roles that, that we use him in. Obviously, he doesn't throw 95 miles an hour. Um, you know, uh, Ryan Buchter's pitching a little bit better. Wong's done a great job for us, too. If we get Trevino and Trinan back right, we're going to have a really deep bullpen, and we're going to be able to shorten some games, and we're going to be able to spread it out. We're not using the same guys all the time. So uh, we're looking forward to getting those two guys right. Yes, Mero is amazing because you look at the radar gun sometimes. It's 86, 87, and he's getting guys. How do you get guys out in today's baseball when you're not throwing that hard? Well, one, you got to know where it's going. Two, he obviously knows the league very well. And what he's really good at is, especially with runners in scoring position, those are usually the guys you bring in. They're throwing 98 miles an hour. But what he does is he knows where guys want it and where they like it. And he throws it there, but he throws it just a little bit farther out than where the barrel of the bat is. And, you know, whether it's a cutter that looks like his fastball, whether it's change up in any count, uh, he's very aware of what he can do. And he is very aware of what the, what the strength of the hitter is. So, you know, Oral Hershey used to say, if the guy likes it down, I throw it a little bit lower. If the guy likes it in, I throw it a little bit farther in. So uh, I think Yuzmero subscribes to that, and he does it pretty well. Yeah, you always think about pitchers who are trying to pitch away from strengths. This is pitching into the strength, but trying to fool you in your own strength. Correct, and you, you got to have some uh, some fortitude to be able to do that. You know, yeah, we brought him in for Mike Trout. You know, he had runners on first and second the other day, and we bring him in a p big situation. He throws Trout a fastball, and he pops it up. And I heard the comment on the bench, how could you throw him a fastball? He goes, you think he was looking for my fastball? No way. So um, he, he does have a very good idea what he's doing. He's very calm in what he's doing, and nothing really rattles him. You know, starting pitching around here has been real interesting. You used 15 starters last year in a season where you won 97 games. Usually you use that many starters, it's going to be a rough year. This year you're using a lot of starters again, and to see Frankie Motas go down was very tough. We know Jesus Lazardo's been shut down. Now you get Homer Bailey. How big is that for you? Yeah, we, we really feel like we got him at the right time. I think he's pitching as well as he has all year at this point in time. You know, he's had some injuries in the past that he's had to fight through, but this might be his best work in quite some time. So 
uh, our, our, our front office does a pretty good job identifying when guys are pitching well. Uh, and I think this is, like I said, this is the best he's pitched in a while. So to be able to, to incrementally move up from the bottom, you know, we can't necessarily go out and maybe do it from the top. But if we can get better from the bottom up, it's going to make us a better team. And we feel like this will. Yeah, Rex Sudler, the Wonder Dog. We had him on Ace Cast Live the other day and talking about Homer, where his four-seam fastball, the fastball up in the zone, is up a couple ticks to around 95. And then says the split-finger fastball, which he's now throwing more than ever, just looks fast. Fabulous. Is that the scouting report you're seeing? It is, and he can pitch up and down, similar to Fires, you know, but maybe with a little bit more velocity. Uh, Mike's pretty good at uh, elevating. He's got some pretty good spin on his fastball for a guy that pitches up at the zone at 90 miles an hour. I think Homer's kind of out of the same cloth as far as that goes, pitching just a little bit higher than the hands where guys see it pretty well uh, and elevates it and spins it pretty good. Now the split's going to be the bottom of the zone pitch, so I think you're exactly right as far as that goes. When these trades go down, what is it like, the communication between whether it's Billy Bean or David Forrest, and they talk to you about what they're thinking about? How does that process go? Uh, I find out shortly before you do. <laughs> and, and a lot of times that's fine with me because there's so much talk these days that I don't want to hear all the noise. I don't want to get excited, potentially get excited about something. So when I hear about them, it's usually toward the end. Uh, when we, we feel like we're in pretty good position to, to, to either make a trade or sign somebody. So I'm fine with that. I concentrate on the guys that we have here. And then if we have somebody that we bring in that makes us better, I feel pretty good about that. Isn't this great, though? I mean, this is when you're buyers versus sellers, because when you're sellers, I'd be in here talking to you about, hey, the guys in the clubhouse are worried because the rumors are out there. It's just such a better position when you know you're adding and not subtracting. No doubt about it. And, you know, we, we struck early, and I wouldn't be surprised if we struck again at some point. So um, that's just the position that we're in right now. And give these guys a lot of credit for, you know, a little bit of a slow start. I did, didn't get anybody down. And, you know, we're playing our best baseball right now, and hopefully that continues. Jesus Lazardo was pretty money in spring training and looked like he earned a right to be here. And then, obviously, while we were in Japan, he gets shut down with the shoulder. Then he looks like he's ready to go again, and, and now the lat. Is it tough relying on somebody that just hasn't been able to stay healthy so far? That was the one guy I was really you know, count, counting on to an extent, and he, we'll still probably see him at some point. I mean, I know he's throwing again right now. He hasn't gotten off a mound yet. You know, hopefully it's, uh, you know, based on the fact that he was pitching some innings, it doesn't take him too long once he gets on the mound again. But, you know, when you have a, a, an elite talent like him and you see it firsthand in spring training, you see the results that he got in spring training, it's pretty easy to get excited about that. So that was the one I was a little bit disappointed in. But, again, you know, you want to make sure he's healthy when he gets to the big leagues. And I still think at some point in time we see him. And then the other guy, and when you made the comparison to the big unit, obviously if anybody knows Randy Johnson, it's you because you dominated Randy in his career. And then, of course, you were with the D-backs with Randy Johnson. You even brought him into camp to meet A.J. Puck. So when A.J. gets here, what, 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 for this season, we know long-term he's going to be a starter. How do you think you'll use him when he gets here? Well, it depends on how we build him up before we get here. Uh, we want to make sure he can at least go every other day. At this point, that's not going to be the case. So, I mean, it's easy to say, okay, he's pitching right now. He's pitched multiple games. Get him there. But we want to make sure we can, we're can. we not rehabbing a guy here. So, uh, you know, if we can use him every other day, we can use him one plus maybe two innings, not necessarily just matching up against a lefty or something like that. I think that'll be ideal. So uh, he definitely has the stuff to get righties out. When you see him come in a game, 
uh, when he does get here, it's not just going to be for a lefty-lefty matchup. And if we can use him for more than inning, I think that would be terrific. And I think about the division right now because everybody wanted to crown the Astros in the first half like it was over. They're starting to have troubles, especially with their pitching for the first time. They've used the opener. I mean, do you still look at these guys in, in this clubhouse and say, eye on the prize? It's not about the wild card. It's still about the division. Oh, it's never not been about the division for our guys here, you know, and, and we really don't get too wrapped up in it. When we play them, obviously, it's, it's, a, it's a big series, and we have them coming up. But our guys just go out there and try to win a particular game. Um, you can look at the schedule now, maybe a little bit softer. It's getting a little tougher as we go along. But, again, they don't get too far out. They, they just look to, to win that, that game and, and add everything up at the end. And then once you get to September and you can see the finish line, then you have a better idea where you are. But I don't think anybody came into this season or at any point in the season and said, look, we're playing for the wild card, uh, and that continues to be the case. All right, Skip, we'll talk to you next week. My pleasure. The Bob Melvin Show brought to you by NestBetting.com. That's NestBetting.com. Love where you sleep. Oh, yeah. Nest Betting. Bob finally got to see because his wife has it down in, Scotts, in Scottsdale. So let me tell you, the guy who owns Joe Alexander, my buddy who owns NestBetting.com, huge A's fan, huge A's fan. That's why you need to support NestBetting.com. We are down on the field getting you ready for a little A's baseball as the A's are finishing up right now their batting practice. And guess who is going to join us today from the Oakland Athletics? Laser Ramon. Ramon Laureano, which, by the way, really upset me. If you watch the, 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 the top 50 defensive plays of the first half, he did not get number one. April 21st against the Blue Jays, where he skies he skies the fence, goes over the fence, robs the home run, comes off the fence, throws the bullet, throws the bullet, and it's way over Kendry's Morales' head. And Nick Hundley backs up, and he's right in front of the visiting dugout, catches it on a one-hop on the run, and then throws like a quarterback on the run to get the play at second. And that's not number one? They just gave it to Jackie Bradley, who robbed a home run that looked no different than any other the regular robbed home runs. I was just going to ask you what was number one, because I started watching the countdown, and when they got to 18, I stopped, because I was like, I want to see where Laureano is from that play. Then I stopped watching, and now if he wasn't number one, that's a bit absurd. I mean, Bradley's a great defensive outfielder, but... Ch Chat Chapman was... That play Chapman made, I believe it was against these Mariners. It's the one that, it was the backhand that he went to the ground, he popped up. I mean, yeah, I remember that. I, I want to say it was like 17th, but come on. Can, can you look it up, see if they posted it? They have a, I mean, there's home runs robbed every single night in Major League Baseball. And, Brad, and Bradley, I want to say his was in Baltimore. And he he went up pretty high, and, and he caught it. But the fact that – but that's all it was. I mean, Ramones was – there was so much action that went on in this play. It was one of the greatest defensive plays I've ever seen. Unbelievable. All right, we'll get you ready for Ramon Laureano. will be coming to us very soon right here on A's Cast Live. This is A's Cast Live. Your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. One and missed, and Mike Fires has thrown his second no-hitter. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back! Goal for Yelich! Cody Bellinger hits one out. 
Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From the opener to launch angles to clutch moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. All right, just give you a little insight. I went over and talked to Bob Melvin during the break, and I told him that Ramon Laureano's catch and throw and Nick Hundley was number two in top 50 plays. And he went, what? He goes, what was number one? I'm all Jackie Bradley Jr. I'm ta- and I'm not, I'm not disparaging this catch that he made. It's just it was like your regular robbed home run. I mean, that play that Ramon Laureano made against the Blue Jays, not not as big as the one in Anaheim, but it was phenomenal. I can't believe it was just number two of the first half. And he joins us now as uh, the center fielder for your Oakland Athletics is with us here on A's Cast Live with Chris Towns. And by the way, happy birthday. It was your birthday yesterday. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Always good to have it on a day off. Yeah, no doubt. Hanging out with the family. Yep. So I was telling the audience, I don't even know if you watched it, but the MLB Network did the top 50 plays of the first half, and your play against the Blue Jays was number two. And I'm yelling at my television going, what could be number one? And it was Jackie Bradley Jr. robbing a home well, run. Well, that's a pretty good catch because that was too uh, – well, they didn't hit that walk-off. So. I know, but pretty looking pretty back at your play, though, when you turned around and you gunned it, and it went over Kendry's Morales' head, and then Nick Hundley running like and catching it on a one-hop and then throwing it like a quarterback on the run to get the runner at second. That play was phenomenal. Uh, yeah, it, it was a uh, good backup for a uh, good try for Kendry, too, and uh, but good backup for uh, Hundley, and uh, I wish I would have thrown at least in front of the first baseman, but, yeah. <laughs> it made the play incredible for you. Yeah. Robin home runs. When was it in your career that you realized you had this leaping ability and that you can get up pretty high and rob home runs? I felt like I always had that, but uh, I mean, my first home run that I robbed was here against Joy Votto. I mean, the Blue Jays one. So, yeah. Really? First time, yeah. That's amazing. That was your first time? First time, it yeah. Seemed, the way Crazy. you make it look easy, it's like you've been doing it your entire life. Because I I don't remember very good in right field because in the minor that's where I play most. Uh, but uh, I always, I think I did a couple over there. But yeah, but I don't remember very good. So <laughs> <laughs> you played more right field than anything else. Yeah, yeah. When did you say center field? This is this is my deal. This is this is where I want to play. Uh, I I mean my whole life to be honest because in in the organization that I came from uh, the Houston they always play you one day in uh, in right field another day in center and they rotate with the other guys and uh but i feel like i always have that and uh but yeah now i'm getting more playing time over there so well that was you know that's that's the thing about this game is that it's it's all about being in the right spot at the right time and the fact that billy bean and david force always were looking at you and liked you and getting the opportunity to show that you are an everyday player. It may not be with one organization, but it definitely can be with another. And you found a home here in Oakland. Absolutely, yeah. You always playing, especially when I'm teams that stack like the Houston Astros. You always playing for all the teams. So, yeah. 
I think about the Houston Astros. What was it like coming up with them as they turned into just this, you know, the numbers for, you know, the analytics that they have there? And how much of the analytics were put on you guys in the minor leagues with the Astros? Uh, at the end of when I was there the last well, a year and a half, uh, they had a pretty, a lot of analytic stuff. Uh, what I remember is that just at blast motion, they will put it in your bat all the time that, that you will be hitting the batting cage. Or anytime you pick up a bat and swing, they <laughs> they literally put it in, in your bat and uh, they can track it down, track the, the whatever, whatever they, I don't yeah. even know the, the numbers, <laughs> the way, they, the language of that. Yeah blast motion thing is uh with the pitchers they do a lot of like rap soto trackman spin like spin race stuff things that everybody does not right now but uh yeah i mean it's just for me i keep it simple just swing the bat and that's it see <laughs> so, ball hit ball yeah per, uh, sometimes though sometimes i gotta get back to it and start thinking a little bit more but yeah do you watch a lot of video uh just the pitcher i, I just go with my confidence so if i'm feeling good uh i i just watch it a little bit, nothing crazy, like two, three minutes, and that's it, yeah. God, I heard someone talking about this, and I can't remember who the player was, but they were talking about how, you know, I'm not necessarily going to watch a ton of video on the starting pitcher because I know a lot of these starting pitchers are not going to be out there for a long time, and the high leverage guys you're going to face are going to be the bullpen guys. So this player yeah. was saying he watches more bullpen guys than he does starters. Yeah, absolutely. Like tomorrow we're f facing uh, Milone. So he will have an opener, but we don't know if that opener is going to throw one inning or two. Uh, and we don't know who it is until, until tomorrow. Uh, and then we, I bet he's going to throw hopefully one inning, but he might throw three, four innings. <laughs> uh, uh, but after that, they just carry it on, on, the, on the bullpen. Yeah, I mean, I mean, think about that. I, I look at the bullpen, too, a lot. So, like, every first game of the series, I look at every every pitcher they have, everybody. And I try to memorize it, uh, <laughs> but uh, it's a little hard sometimes. i got to take some notes. But uh, if I see him already, I don't look at it. So, like this team, we're already facing, what, two, a week ago? Before yeah. Outer, so I don't, I don't look at them. Because I think about, let, let's say you're hitting seventh or eighth in the order, there's a good chance you'll never even see the opener. Your first at-bat's going to be whoever normally the opener goes one. You're, you're going to get the guy coming in from the bullpen, whoever that's going to be. Yeah, correct. But you still got to – yeah, it's, it's tough, but uh, you still got to look at it just in case uh, some crazy situation happens because anything can happen in this game. He might be, <laughs> what, 15 pitches in and the seventh hitter is hitting. So Because you're, 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 you're on attacking mode more. When he's a bullpen guy starting. I want to ask you about the ball. And we've been talking a lot about how the ball is different. And for you as an outfielder, have you noticed how the ball is flying further, how it can change your routes to the baseball, or how you judge the baseball as an outfielder? Have you seen a difference this season? That's a good question. Uh, well, look, I think about the ball, the home runs, uh, Players are more stronger now. They throw harder now, so when you make contact, they go a little farther and a little quicker. Uh, I don't know about the ball. I, the ball feels the same. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not a pitcher, so. Yeah. But uh, in the outfield, you know, I see some balls that they go over, and I'm like, 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 bro, like I saw that like right here, and then the second later, it's over the fence. But 
I don't know. I, I think I saw that last year too. So uh, our pitching was doing really good last year. I mean, we've been doing good. We've been doing pretty decent. Uh, but uh, obviously last year was historical, to be honest with you. But uh, I didn't saw a lot of homers go over the fence. A lot of balls would go over the fence. So, but I feel like this year there's there might be something, yeah. Yeah, because I've noticed with with a lot of different outfielders this year, where guys you can tell when an outfielder's tracking it and he thinks he has it, yeah. and then all of a sudden it keeps going, it just, and it keeps going, yeah. and then it's out, and he's yeah. sitting there going, "Wait a minute, I, I had a beat on that." Yeah. So I've noticed that a lot. But let's talk about this ball club right now. As you guys did get out to a great start, but now you're red hot, and now you're 12 games over 500. And now you're starting to reel in the Houston Astros as they're struggling a little bit. What's it been like for this ball club in June and July? Uh, I mean, look, we knew we were going to overcome it at the beginning of the season, all the stuff that happened. It is what it is. Uh, this thing is, I feel like it's better than last year. It, we are better than last year, with, with no doubt. I know we have the same people, but we are better players, more experienced, I think. Uh, but not only that, is that this team in the history of this team is that in june we always take off so we, we have a lot of confidence around the whole the whole team so yeah yeah that's a, that's a big statement right there because you guys won 97 games last year and to say that you're better and i could see you know you know one of the things that last year you and we're seeing it this year a little bit too because of injuries and then frankie montas being suspended but Used 15 starting pitchers last year. There has been a little more consistency on the pitching staff this year from the starters' perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we've been doing a, a pretty, pretty good job to be on over overall. Uh, we're just gonna get better. We know that trainer is gonna get back and Trevino is gonna get back. We are confident. We're not worried about it. They work really hard every single day to figure it out. They, I mean, I'm not. I'm not. Nobody's worried about them. We know we're gonna. If we get those guys back. We're going to be pretty, pretty, pretty damn good. You know, the one thing about you guys, everybody wants to talk about the runs that you're scoring. They want to talk about the bullpen. They want to talk. I think the number one thing for you guys, and you're a big part of it, is how strong you are defensively. You're strong all around the diamond, all around the infield, all around the outfield. Talk about how really this is the strength of the team is your guys' defense. Absolutely. Uh, people don't look at defense maybe now because of we are wake, we are waking up that that part of the game now with Shappy, Simeon, uh, and Ollie in there. But, uh, you know, sometimes there might be a rally coming. You kind of smell it. But then there's a grounder with one out down the hole with Shappy, and then he gets a double play. That's it. So that's why or Ollie makes a good defensive play. Marcus, Marcus and uh, I mean, we just kill rally all the time, kill rallies all the time. And uh, and that's what that's what good team, teams do do you know and that's you know and a big thing is is for you playing defense is you're playing a big ballpark here yeah. and that's the one thing that that you know and there's a few fly ball pitchers here so not only the infield guy you're killing rallies too out there in center field <laughs> i think i'm doing all right to be honest it's not the way that i want it to be but uh i gotta make an adjustment and uh i'm still working on it uh but uh i know i'll be i'll be i'll be in great hands so let's end on this we talked to you early in the season. You had a little bit of struggle offensively. Now you've been absolutely fantastic. 
What has it been for you? What happened that got you back on track to where now, I mean, Bob Melvin has so much trust for you and moving you up in the lineup. Uh, I think it's just learning from your mistakes, like I always do in this game. You got to learn from it. Uh, have optimism, like I always, I always have that, and uh, and just the way they attack you. I don't, I don't, I didn't know many guys. I still don't know a lot of guys in the league. Uh, know the division, uh, making adjustment the way you feel, your body feels, the way uh, teams attack you after a good day. Uh, I mean, all little things, things you know, they play out, and you try to make adjustment. And then hopefully your state of mind it's your confidence still there and your body feels good and and you're ready to go out out there well good luck tonight against the seattle mariners we appreciate you stopping by thank you thank happy you guys. birthday and appreciate uh it. go get them tonight yeah enjoy the game it's gonna be a good one tonight so. ramon loriano of your oakland athletics right here on a's cast live he said a few things there that we need to talk about right here on a's cast live now back to A's Cast Live, broadcasting from the town. Here's Chris Townsend. I said it yesterday that I think I can convince Ray Fossey on one of my crazy ideas. Hey, you've got a lot of crazy ideas. I can't wait to hear it. Okay, Fossey. Well, the, the, the premise of this idea. Can I put my sunglasses on that? That's bright. Thank you. You can do whatever you want. You're the face of the franchise. No, I got my Oakleys. Gary down in Anaheim gave them to me, so I got to, I got to put them on. Two-time World Series champion, two-time Gold Glover, two-time All-Star. Got my ring. Got my ring. So, have you heard about the Atlantic League? What they're doing with oh, the? Oh. Uh, well, God. wait a minute. Just I want you to keep an open mind. Yeah, I got your open mind. Okay, okay. ready? So, what's happening? If you're just listening to us, hey, book. And the Atlantic League, if there's any tight at any point when the ball gets away from a catcher. Jeez. You can run to first base. All right? Yeah. So here's why I think you're going to like it, why I can convince you. Because this now makes catcher's blocks so much a bigger of deal. Of course. So all of a sudden, all that hard work That's right. and being a great – I think it could be a metric, and I think catchers could make more money off of it because blocking balls now would be at a, at a premium. Well, Tony, you, you've probably heard me say this, and I'll repeat it if you have, that I believe with all the statistics that we get on a daily basis, with everything in there, where's the catcher's blocks? Why aren't catcher's blocks? Because it is something like coaching third base. It's a thankless job. As a third base coach, you're supposed to be perfect. As a catcher, you're supposed to block the balls. When you don't, then all of a sudden, oh, you can't block balls. But the bottom line, and I was happy to see uh, uh, Billy Ripken with the MLB doing a segment on blocking balls and the importance of blocking a ball from a catcher standpoint, keeping a runner where he is to keep a double play in order to be whatever. Now, when the Angels were here, when Sean Figgins was playing for them, I remember distinctly there was a game first and second with Figgins up very fast. The catcher blocked a ball to keep runners at first and second. Next pitch, ground ball, 6-4-3 double play. I went in the clubhouse and I said, what was the most important play in this game today? And they said, I don't know this. I said, it was a catcher's block. And they go, ah, oh, you catchers. But that kept the double play in order. If that ball is, it gets away from the catcher, it's second and third, 
if the end field's in, maybe it gets by them. If not, they're going to score a run. Catcher's blocks are important. I like your idea, by the way. See? I <laughs> I got him to like it. I like it. Because now. Because only, only if you recognize yes. what a catcher's doing in blocking that, balls. There would totally, we, we would make a metric based off, because you got to think. Now the pitcher is going to be worried about throwing a ball in the dirt yeah. at any point because the guy can take off and That's be at right. first. So now every single time you block it, there would be a metric that rewards you. Now you go to arbitration. <laughs> now you're in free agency. Think about how important the block would be because you're you're protecting by that block. You're yeah. protecting 90 feet. Yeah. Well. I'm glad you're bringing that up. I do not think that rule will be applied to Major League Baseball with with a catcher with that Atlantic League rule. Well, you know what's interesting. I don't. I just don't think it's going to. Think about though, Foss. Baseball knows it has a problem with action in play. Yeah. Too so many home runs, strikeouts, walks. Right. They need more in play. This would bring more in play action. Well, if you do that, then uh, the late Charlie Finley, who wanted to have a pinch runner stand at home plate for the hitter to hit the ball and he'd run yeah. to first. Herb. Herb Washington. <laughs> Hurricane Herb Washington. But, you know, that never happened. But, you know, you know all these things that are happening, Tony, while they are good, it's just like the pace of the game now. If you change the game that's been around for 150 years, no, I have not been 150 years in the game, but I will say that the game is still the game and should be played a certain way. If you start bringing a lot of different things in, like innovative ways, uh, especially if, if they go as far as the the home plate umpire just standing there and somebody telling him whether it's a ball or strike, take the human element out of it. And I, and I think you have to have the human element in this game. Right now they have the, the challenges and the umpires and, you know, I asked Eddie Montague, who's a great umpire supervisor, was a great umpire when he when he was uh, active. I said, Eddie, are, are the umpires being, uh, I wouldn't, we don't want to say reprimanded, but at least is, is there some tally whenever they miss a call? Because if you think about a play at first base and they go, okay, I'll just call them safe. But now what's happening, it seems to be whatever the call on the field, it stands. If there's not really definitive that the guy is out safe or whatever, you know, so you're hoping now, if you're challenging, and Adam Roden does a very good job, if you're challenging, you want the call to be in your favor if it's on the field because more times than not now, it's not being overturned. It's being stands. So talked with, talked with Bob Melvin about that earlier today when we taped the Bob Melvin show. Yeah. And he, he has the feeling that the later we go in the season – Basically, the call on the field is probably going to stand, yeah. and it's very similar to football. Yeah. You know, it, it's about if you're going to challenge it, it is going to be hard for you to overturn it, right. for the actual call on the field exactly. to be overturned. Absolutely. It's, it's got to be. But here's the problem. The technology's there. Yeah. The problem is it's still the human beings using the technology. Exactly. And how about in Seattle when Ramon Laureano hit a home run that clearly – was foul. Even Raymond over the, the security guard said, what did they not see in New York? That ball clearly went in front of the foul pole, called it a home run. So, you know, even those things, I mean, Scott Service was in the dugout looking at it. He could see the ball cut in front. Anytime the ball goes in front of the foul pole, it's foul ball. Yeah. If you if you lose sight of the ball, then it's behind it, and you know it's a home run. But that clearly was there. So, even with the technology, it was upheld. I'm not upheld, but it, it stood as a, as a home run. That's, but, a, that's a good idea, though. I like your idea because I, I think if you can if you can draw attention to a catcher blocking a ball, more power to you. I knew I would yeah. hook you 
No, you're not hooking me. I think it's a good Line idea. Uh, yeah, all of a sudden I'm making you more money. Well, I'm not. I'm not concerned about that. It's because as a catcher, your job is to block a ball in the dirt. The ca the catcher's job is to say to the pitcher, "You throw that curveball. You bounce the curveball. I'm going to block it," and that's it. And you know, if you don't, then you know you, you need to have a catcher back there who is a catcher first and foremost, an offensive player second. Got to do it. When when Sonny Gray went to New York. Sanchez couldn't catch his curveball. That's a problem. That's a huge problem because for him to be successful, he had to throw that thing that looked like a strike and then bite in the in the good. And, and Sanchez could not really do it. And then all of a sudden, now if, if, if you as a pitcher do not have confidence in your catcher, that's right. You know, and you know what happened with him? He started elevating. And I saw a game against the Red Sox. He elevated his curveball. It's a home run. So he has to do that. Now I'll tell you this: Stephen Vogt, when he was catching him. There was some things about, well, he's got all these wild pitches. And he said, how many have I blocked? I said, I'll tell you. <laughs> I went back through my book, and I went to him. I said, voter, I said, you've blocked 63 with a runner on first or second and 11 with a runner at third base. 74 you blocked to prevent a runner from advancing. He goes, wow. I said, yeah, I, I counted every one of them. But I had them. But, uh, but you know, that, that's what happens because – Instead of commending a guy for blocking 63, they were criticizing him because of the other ones that were wild pitches, the number of wild pitches he had. Are you the only person in the game who charts blocks? Probably. I mean, as far as in my scorebook. Yeah, you're the you're, I've never, you're the only guy to ever I've seen to have it in his scorebook. Yeah, I've got it in my scorebook. And, and any time, see, to me, if the ball hits the ground, it's a wild pitch. People say, well, he should have caught. I said, regardless. I said, if I'm a catcher and I throw the ball to second base and I bounce it, and he goes to the center field. Who gets the air? Catcher, always. I've never, ever seen a ball bounced to second base on a stolen base attempt that the ball goes in the center field that the catcher does not get the air on him. So same thing applies at the plate. If you're blocking a ball and it's in the dirt and, re you know, realize you're not out there with a rake making sure that it's not as smooth, you're going to have divots. You're going to have guys who are standing and hitting. And all of a sudden the ball hits, it goes a different direction. But, uh you know, you, you've, you've got to do your job in blocking balls, and, and that's the most important thing. And that's why when something like that happens, I make a check and I mark it. Jay, uh, Jonathan Lucroy in a game in Anaheim, the, the A's were down there, not this last trip, it's early June, I think it was. He blocked 15, 15 with a runner on first, 15, and three with a runner at third. Yet, you know what happened? He blocked the ball, did a great job, and the ball went over here. He casually went after it. Matt Chapman scored because of the quickness of Matt Chapman. And Lucro got in and hurried back and jumped in front of him, but he just got his hand in safely. And he went face first. Yeah. yeah. But, but that's what I'm saying. So he blocks 15. One gets away. A run scores. Horrible. You did a terrible job. Oh, really? Why don't you give him credit for what he did to prevent a lot more runs from possibly scoring or at least advancing in a scoring position? I got a question for you about this organization. Basically since, let's call it 2000. Mm-hmm. Had a lot of different players, yeah. a lot of different managers, coaches. You, you waiting for Eric to come on here? No. Okay. Sorry. It's all about you, Vlad. No, 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 no. Eric's a good, good broadcaster. Anyway, the two thousands. Is he coming on? Eric Grossman from the Mariners. Oh yeah. What time? What time? I don't know what time? What time? Eric, is? what time are you supposed to be on? What time? I got two minutes. You got two minutes. So talk <laughs> fast. Since two thousand. Why is it for the majority of the years, the A's have been good, they've struggled early, and they start getting hot in June and July? You said it at the beginning. 
a lot of different players. I think, you know, it, it, before free agency, I mean, you think of Boog Powell at first, Davey Johnson at second, Mark Belanger at short, Brooks Robinson at third, Andy Etcheberrin or uh, Elrod Hendricks catching, you had the outfield. They knew who was there every year. So Earl Weaver would start the season with those guys in those positions. Dodgers, you're down in Southern California where you had Garvey, uh, Say, uh, say uh, Russell and, and, and uh, Lopes, say, say at third and Russell at short. Yeah. Every year they were the same. So you get familiar with the guys who are around you. I think what happens here because of the turnover, and it's not just with the A's, a lot of them around baseball. When you have a turnover personnel, it takes a time, a little bit of time to get familiar with that person. You look last year, what happened when Jed Lowry at second base and, and Simeon at shortstop, and then you had two gold glovers. Every one of those four qualified top three is Gold Glove re representing their positions in the American League. So now Profar comes in. Simeon's got to work with him every day, and it's a little bit different. You don't try to figure out the throws and different things. So I think to your point is 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 a good one because by the time players get acclimated to oh okay, then they start playing. They start playing well. Well, why were you guys bad every year in Cleveland? Because we were bad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's the word called bad. I mean, we were we were destined for last place, first day of spring training. <laughs> you, you guys didn't have one winning record no, while you were there. No, of course not. How's that possible? Because you had talent. Yes, and that talent, you know, we were making nothing. And if that talent was any good, they were traded, just like I was traded here, you know, which was the greatest thing that ever happened because I get to spend time with you. Well, you're the face of the yeah. franchise. No, but but that you know those things happen. So, hey, Eric, come on, but I got a hop for you. Aaron Goldsmith is coming yep. on from Mariners Television. Ray Fossey. You are the best. <laughs> the face of the franchise, Ray Fossey. Aaron, these are big shoes you got to fill coming on after Ray Fossey. Oh, come on, man. I've got no chance. You know <laughs> How that. are you? Doing well. Have yourself. Thanks for having me on. Hey, this, well, is a, this is an incredible setup that you guys have. This is amazing. Good for you guys. We've been trying to tell everybody and – you know, we're the only team in baseball doing this. We're the only team at this point allowed to do this. And we came up with it this year where we have a 24-7 a station running on the TuneIn app. And then we took that where we played the games and the pre and post game and then all the different podcasts that we have. And then on opening day, they said, hey, go down there and do a four-hour show <laughs> with no commercials. Well, and there's I, nothing to that. It's and easy. I, and I said, all right, let's let's do it. And we liked it so much that so we said, well, why don't we do this Monday through Friday? So I thought I was getting out of talk radio, and they sucked me back in. But that's been the thing about being able to, you know, have the access to the players and to the other team. You know, Tommy Malone, the old A, came down. Yes. Mariners Television, yourself coming down. So we're just not talking A's. We're talking to everybody in Major League Baseball. I mean, we've had Jim Palmer, Hall of Famers. So it's, uh, Jim uh, doesn't like to talk, though. That's amazing. <laughs> to get I got him to get into the whole jockey story. Oh, great. Which was phenomenal. But I'll tell you, within a year or two, everybody's going to be doing this in baseball. But thank you for coming down uh, before your broadcast You tonight. got it, man. This is great. So 13-2. and two. Mariners get out to this great start. They're hitting home runs every single game. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, the big slide. What exactly happened? You know, it's funny. All that you said is true. They're still hitting home runs. They're no longer 13-2. and two. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, there were a number of things that happened. For one, the schedule happened. Now, I'm not saying that the A's were a weak opponent early in the season, even though the Mariners took two games. But after the A's, the Mariners played the White Sox. They played the Kansas City Royals. Uh, shortly thereafter, they started to play some real beef. Early in the season, they didn't. 
Uh, obviously, you guys have risen to the top and have been one of the superior teams in not just the American League, but in all of baseball. But for the first uh, roughly two weeks, the schedule was pretty soft for the Mariners. Coupled with that, uh, every other at-bat was a home run. Coupled with that, the bullpen was A, healthy, and B, actually like really effective early on. And the defense, although it was beginning to show, show warts early on, they just outslugged it. It was that simple. They just out-hit their defense, and they out-hit their bullpen, which was really okay-ish at that time. Since then, man, it's been, it's been two totally different seasons. Unfortunately, the good season lasted two weeks, and the rough season has lasted ever since then. Uh, the bullpen has been in a constant state of turmoil. The defense has improved from its lowest of low, but that's still not all that great. And uh, the starting rotation, the pitching overall has just had real, real big problems. And the, Although the Mariners still have the second most home runs of the majors, they, they can't out-hit the flaws like they were over the first two weeks. And that's why you're a great person to ask about this baseball in 2019. With all the home runs that you've seen this year, I mean, you guys were on the streak where there were – is the streak over yet where – a home run's been hitting every single game, whether it's you guys or no, the opposing team. No, it's still cooking. Team. Yeah, it's still going. It's, a, it's amazing, man. And I, at this point, and for those who aren't aware of it, there has been a home run hit in every Mariners game this season. Now, that's not just that might not be a Mariners home run, but one team has hit a home run, and as we all know, most of the time, both teams are hitting a lot of home runs in every game. But it's happened every game, and I'll be honest, the game where it doesn't happen, I'll be, I'll be floored. I'll be shocked. Because why wouldn't I be at this point? It's been almost 100 games. Yeah, I, I remember last time we played you here, I was going through your game notes, and I went, is that really possible yeah, I know. to have a home run hit by somebody right. every single – like, could you see this going for 162? I absolutely could. Uh-huh. And now, now part of it's this. Part of it's because uh, the Mariners' pitching staff has just given up a lot of home runs, like a lot of home runs. And the Mariners, as we already established, hit a lot of home runs themselves. So it's going to take – some incredible pitcher's duel that you just don't see. I mean, when's the last time we saw a real pitcher's duel, right? I can't speak for the A's, but for the Mariners, it hasn't happened that often. And in this state of baseball, offensively, it doesn't happen that often. And I've talked to a lot of people about the ball, as I'm, I know you guys obviously have also. The best quote that I've gotten about the ball this year came from a guy who started in the All-Star game for the American League and might win the Cy Young and Justin Verlander. He said, you know, it used to be that it was okay to just miss the barrel, Right? Got two strikes on a guy, fastball low and away. Execute a fastball low and away. He said, now you have to miss bats. It's not good enough to miss the barrel. You have to miss the bat, which obviously we see the strikeouts being what they are. But if this is coming from uh, one of the game's greatest and a guy who, if he retired tonight, would be in the Hall of Fame. And that just that took me back because how many times have we seen pitches, lower outside corner, this wallet out swing, flick, opposite way home run? Right? I mean, it happens all the time, and it's not even on the sweet spot of the bat. It's off the end of the bat, and it's over the fence for a dinger. It happens every night around baseball. And that's coming from uh, a guy who is, will retire as one of the elite of the elite in Justin Verlander. I've noticed a lot, too, with outfielders. You know when you're calling the game, when an outfielder, you can tell when he's he thinks he's got it, right? Sure. He's tracking it. And we just had Ramon Laureano on, who's made some highlight reel plays for the last few years for the A's, and I asked him about this. You're tracking it. You think you got it. You think you got it. Next you know, you're at the track, you're at the wall, and it's gone, but you thought you had it off the bat. I'm seeing that more than I've ever seen that with outfielders. Well, I'll counter that with this. This is harder to spot because after a ball's hit in the air, we all right, we all look at the outfielder or we all track the ball depending on where you're sitting. But how about the batters who, uh, 
do one of those. <laughs> Shake their head. Like I saw Todd Frazier of the Mets have this a couple weeks ago. Throw the bat down. Cock his head to the side. Oh, never mind. I'll take I'll take a tour around the base paths. You're right. I mean, it's from both perspectives, it's happening. And I'm curious what you guys think about this. I'm really curious for all the executives in baseball. When this offseason comes, right, Commissioner Manfred's talked about how they've studied the ball. It's a handmade product. We all know all that. Uh, how do you evaluate this season? I mean, if you're going to sign a potential free agent who maybe is coming off a career year, because let's face it, I mean, if you're not coming off a career year in 2019, a lot went wrong because everybody's having career years, it seems like. I mean, how do you evaluate it? Because what if the ball isn't like this next year or in two years from now? I mean, how are you going to ev evaluate that? And it's not just home runs, and this is something I have – no way of being able to analyze, and even the smartest people would probably have a hard time figuring this out, but it's not just on home runs, right? I mean, it's not the only time that the ball affects play is just when it gets over the fence. I mean, there has to be something to, you know, Matt Chapman's a wizard, right? He's the best in the game there. Or Kyle Seeger for the Mariners at third base, who he's won a gold glove. I mean, what about the ball that's just blistered, right? Blistered past third base. Well, now it's coming off the bat hotter than it ever has before. And all of a sudden, that turns into a whatever, a two-run double. When Now, this doesn't sound like much. We're talking fractions of something. But, you know, last year, two years ago, three years ago, the ball is hit hard. But maybe the reaction time of Chapman or a Seager or whoever it is, they get to that ball and they catch it. I mean, those are it's just the trickle down from it's not just home runs. It's so much more than that. I have no way of knowing how to calculate that or how much it's impacted, but it's got to be something. Well, think about the trading deadline coming up. Absolutely. I mean, think about that. I mean, how do you even evaluate the AAA guys? Yeah. They're using this ball, record home runs. How do you, I mean, every, you know, they give us the packet of our minor league teams, right? And we're looking at the AAA teams. Every guy's got a six. You're not only you pitching in Vegas, but if you're got to play up in Reno or Colorado Springs sure. in elevation, we're calling it pitchers who have seven ERAs. I mean, <laughs> how, how, how do you evaluate talent, as you said, after the season, how do you evaluate now for the trading deadline? Well, if you're if you're a Midland Rockhound hitter, you're like, hey, give me the AAA, man. <laughs> get me out of here. I'm I mean, Babe Midland's Ruth. great and everything, <laughs> but give me the AAA ball. I'll, I'll hit 10 more dingers right there if I get up to that level. I mean, there's no doubt. And, you know, I want because golf had this problem. They started making, you know, the Pro-V became a better Pro-V, and next thing you know, PGA, USGA – had to go to the equipment companies and say, hey, listen, the ball, they had to scale the ball back for the PGA Tour. It just, it happens. I got to think something like that is going to happen because once we get to a point, like if we're talking to you at the end of the year going, hey, there's a thousand more home runs hit than last year, there's going to have to be something that's done. Do you think it's, I mean, do you th we all love offense. We all like home runs. I mean, do you think that it is numbing for a fan? I mean, like nine home runs in a game? Is it just kind of has it lost its luster or beginning to lose its luster like that? I don't I don't know how the fans think about that. You know the thing is like every you know a lot of home runs are hit around here. You never people are standing up cheering. That's I think I think for us in the business we're like the games are too long. But I think for the fan the home run is you know I've I've never it's still heard king. I've never heard anyone say in another sport hey they scored too many touchdowns. <laughs> hey the Golden State well, I mean we right. I covered the Warriors through the past couple championships and. I never took a phone call after Warrior game going, you know, Steph hit too many threes tonight. So <laughs> Tell Clay just to pass it, man. <laughs> Seriously. Can we can we score under 100 tonight? <laughs> so I, I think we'll analyze it because we care so much about the game. And But I think for the fans, the guy who just wants to have a couple beers and have a sausage, four home runs, he's going to be ecstatic. Yeah, I think you're right.
I, I think this is just another one of those eras in baseball that 20 years from now, and who knows how long this era will last, but 20 years from now, 30 years from now, when you see that all these guys have record home run totals and all these pitchers are giving up record home run totals, you'll just have to remember that this was uh, the most live of live ball eras of all time. And this is something that I'm kind of keeping down. I'm not, I'm not doing a lot of it, and I've kind of asked people around here, Whenever you see something in my career, whenever I've seen something that I've never seen before, I've got to think, okay, can it be more than the ball? Can the players, once again, as we live through Balco here in the Bay Area, we saw the players, they, baseball wasn't testing at the time, but they were testing in football, track and field. The athletes were ahead of the testing. Could we be back in an era like that? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think you definitely raise a fair point that it could be more than the ball. I'll tell you something else that it is, probably, and I have nothing to back this up, but, I mean, it only makes sense. Pitchers don't command now, like, at all compared to what they used to, right? Everybody's mad. Now, when you think, oh, he can't command his fastball, I mean, guys just don't throw fastballs like they used to. doesn't just mean that they're spraying it all over the place for the backstop. It means that a lot of times they're throwing meatballs, right? I mean, there's a lot – of pitchers who do not command their offerings. I mean, it just, it just happens, I don't know, more than ever. That might be too bold of a statement, but it happens a lot. And we see it in bullpens all the time. Guys who are in bullpens now who shouldn't be in the major leagues, but they're there for a variety of reasons. One might be because you've run through so many relievers because you're using the bullpen more than ever. Your starting pitching isn't going deep. And now your guys are getting hurt. Now you're calling up guys from AAA and AA who shouldn't be here for another year or two. And they're not as competitive of pitchers a guy that would have been here uh, when pitching in this game was different. I'm not, I'm not trying to bag on the way games being played now. I, I'm, I don't have that viewpoint of it all. I'm just trying to find, like you are, reasons for, beyond just the ball, reasons for the kind of the, the state of offense in the game right now. I think that's kind of beneath the fold, but that might be part of it also. This is like BP for you. This is like warming you up. <laughs> I'm going I'm to be out of gas by the second <laughs> inning. You kidding me? If this game goes extras, man, I'm toast. <laughs> hey, thank you for coming by. Hey, this we is truly, fun, guys. We you guys this is amazing. It. You guys do a great job, and your fans must certainly appreciate it. This is fantastic. Whenever you're in town, we'd love to have you on. My pleasure. Great stuff. Coming up next, we're going to talk to the fan that was doused with beer at the wild card game versus the Yankees next right here on A's Cast Live. A's Cast, A's Cast Live continues from Ricky Henderson Field. Here's Chris Townsend. I'll never forget the wild card game. We're all watching it up at the treehouse, hoping for a big win for the athletics. It didn't happen. And then John Spencer, longtime A's fan, lives in New York, had his green and gold rocking, and actually, you know, he's getting beer poured on him by Yankee fans. <laughs> and you became a star back here in the Bay Area because we all can't stand the Yankees. And we said, see, this is another reason why we can't stand these guys. Thanks for coming on the program. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. What was that like? It was um, it was interesting. I mean, I I was so happy to be out there repping the A's, right? I also I did buy bleacher tickets, so I kind of maybe set myself up a little bit for it. But from the moment I walked in the stadium, they were giving me you know giving me crap, saying all sorts of things to me. I was with my girlfriend too, but um, it just made me even more proud to be an A's fan. And then as the game was going on, it wasn't looking good for us. Continued to look worse as the as the game went on. And then at one point, when the Yankees ripped like a, I think it was a two or three run triple or something like that kind of solidified their lead at that point. One of the other fans that was standing behind me took that moment to take his probably $15 beer he had just bought and yeah. <laughs> dump the whole thing on my head and, and then throw the cup at my head. 
Um, so it was an interesting experience, I got to say. I definitely, uh, you know, I was just like, wow, Yankees fans, you're really living up to what I thought you were. I mean, growing up as a kid, the Yankees would always buy out all of our players. They still kind of do that now. And so I kind of grew up sort of hating them a little bit. So it was, it was kind of fitting to have that happen to me, to be honest. I want to commend you for, for staying calm. Because, like, me, if I was your age, I would have turned around swinging. I mean, I would have. Yeah. I would have. I want to commend you for not doing that because, you know what, you repped us in a way that, like, I almost you'd say professionalism, uh-huh. but your yep. fandom and by, because I'm assuming, like, all the fans around went, that's weak. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There was there was a little bit of sympathy for me. I think most, pe- most of the fans, they were so caught up in the game, they didn't even really care. Um, but, you know, in moments like that, it's like, what are you going to do? Are you going to turn around and make it a big deal and cause a fight, or are you just going to accept that? That person did what they did, you know. Don't take it personally. They're trying to. They're they're dumping beers on the on the A's as a whole. They're not dumping a beer on me specifically, maybe even though they did. But um, you know, it's I'm not uh, super confrontational. I keep a pretty level head in situations like that. And so a moment like that, I'm just like, you know what? I'm, my team's losing. I'm out here repping the A's. I'm repping Oakland. If that's what you want to do to me, then then fine. You know, I'll take it. But I'm still. I'm not going to turn around, and make it into a whole scene. You know. So the A's reach out to you after that, correct? They did. Yeah. So the A's. Um, that video went viral the next day. I think like Bleacher Report was one of the main publications that it that it that it sped up on, and um, so the A's reached out on Twitter. They posted like, "Hey, help us find this fan" because they heard about the event. <laughs> and so one of my friends forwarded me the tweet and was like, "Hey, the A's are looking to find you." And so I, I raised my hand and I started talking to Travis, the director of marketing, and um, told them it was me and kind of chatted about it. And they uh, again appreciated the support that I had shown for the A's and hooked me up with some different radio shows and just kind of spread the gospel a little bit. Um, but you know, I was, I felt fortunate to be in that moment and have a chance to try to tell a different kind of story. You know, a lot of these stories we see online, especially with confrontations like that, they usually end negatively. They end in a fist fight. They end in someone getting ejected from the game. And so I was thankful to be a part of a story that wasn't like that. And to be like, you know what, sometimes you got to just turn the other cheek and accept it and understand that people will come from all different backgrounds, all walks of life. And escalating a situation like that is usually not the best way to go about uh, handling it. And so I was, I was thankful for that and thankful that the A's reached out and that we connected. And here I am at a game, thanks to, thanks to Travis and the team for hooking me up with tickets. So, yeah, it's been, it's been a wild ride. <laughs> Did the Yankees contact you? The Yankees contacted me. Because um, it's a bad look for them. It's a very bad look for them. Um, also, I think, like, that type of behavior, the reason it picked up, too, is that it's part of a larger story of New York City fans, sometimes Yankee fans, getting a little too over the top. Um, and so I think that's part of what picked it up. But they reached out. I think initially they reached out just to mitigate any legal issues they might run into with, you know, if they thought I might try to, you know, pursue legal action against them, which I had no intention to. But they wanted to make sure that I, was, that I wasn't too upset, that everything was all right. And um, so they reached out. They actually, uh, this past season, so they told me when that happened, they are like, hey, season's almost over, but next season if you want tickets or anything, let us know. We'll hook you up. And so they – offered to let me stay in uh, the general manager's box uh, box seats, Brian Cashman's yeah. seat. So I went to a game a few weeks ago, um, a, a Yankees game, and I brought both Chris and Alex, who were the two guys that threw the beer on me, because we had kind of met up after that and kind of made amends, made friends. And um, so we got to meet Really? Brian. We did, yeah. So that was Look a whole— Look at you being the good person. Yeah, they. so that's the whole other side of the story is they now, reached what out. Did he, now, what did he say to you? You know, I mean, they apologize. Now, people ask me, like, do you think they would do it again? Yeah, I'm sure they would. Like, wow. they apologize, but they're— They had to. They had to. They had to. Because now he—you're going viral 
yeah. people feel bad for you. Yeah. But how about all the people? Because this gets down to his employer could see it. Yep. Th- this yep. Could, and he could be sued because yep. the bottom line the is he could kick him out of the stadium for good. Never. Like, yeah. I, mean, I mean, think about it. you have the right to say, OK, against the Yankees, you're not securing this venue. People are afraid to be in this venue. Right. There was a lot of ways you could have go yep. against him, the Yankees. I mean, that's yeah. And I, I just didn't want to pursue any of those. You know, I wanted to try to make peace. I wanted to try to make amends with him. Um, I wanted to try, especially with, like, once it went viral on Twitter, I mean, we see things that happen on Twitter. There was definitely a dark side of it, people saying really mean and nasty things to him. And I just didn't want to be a part of that. I was like, I don't want to perpetrate this story. Um, and so I tried to turn that story around. So when he reached out and said, hey, we should meet up and have a drink and let me buy you a beer to apologize, I was like, yeah, why not? And so we hung out. We had a good time together. We posted some pictures. And I told, tried to explain to the Internet, like, hey, everyone take a big, deep breath. It's okay. Sometimes you get wronged by people. But, you know. Just try to make amends and accept it, you know, and, and move forward. So, Why are you still living around these wretched people? <laughs> Why have you not moved back here to the Bay Area? Yeah, that's a good question. That's a good question. I uh, I plan to move back to the Bay Area soon. Tell um, your girlfriend we'll get them season tickets. <laughs> I mean, come on. Okay, I'll pass that along to her. I'll pass that along to her. Yeah, we're actually planning on uh, we're planning on moving back in the next couple years. So uh, I've, I've been staying in music as, or staying in New York a uh, big part because of music. I'm a musician, and so New York's got a really good music scene. But I'm, uh, I'm pretty excited to move back to the Bay Area in the next couple of years. Well, you know what? Thank you for coming on, and it's great that you're here. And we really appreciate you repping us in that wild card game and then also staying calm and making A's fans look a hell of a lot better than what Yankee fans are. Hey, that's how we do it. We're much better than Yankees fans, so I'm glad I could help prove that point. All right, coming up next, it's going to be Alex Jensen with A's All Night. Don't forget, I'll have A's total access for you on 860 AM, the answer here in the Bay Area, Sports 1140 KHDK in Sacramento, the Valley, and Northern California, or just stay right here on A's Cast. We'll be back in about 15 minutes. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.